The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Please turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We pick up in verse 26 to the end of the chapter. We expect to be finishing 1 Corinthians in time for the missions conference in March. We have a few more weeks to go. It's been a lengthier portion in chapter 15 as we explore uh, the riches of God's Word regarding the resurrection. As I approach this text, I I recognize that uh, Presbyterians have a reputation And you could probably take verse 40 and apply that as the theme verse, all things done in decency and in order, as the theme verse of Presbyterians, our structured ways have earned us such reputation. And we might be tempted to think we have very little to learn from this passage in which Paul is trying to bring order to a very disorderly bunch that was the church at Corinth. I believe there's much that we can learn as we take to heart Paul's concerns for the need for respect, submission to authority, accountability, and other matters, as you recognize that it's God who brings order to our fallen chaos. Please follow as I read 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent." For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. This is God's Word. Let us pray. Father, as we come to a text that exhorts us to order, we acknowledge that there's much disorder in our world, in our own private worlds. And we pray that you would shed the light of your Word into our hearts, that we might find peace and order according to your good and perfect will for us in Christ. 
Amen. Well, between Christmas and New Year's, my wife and I endeavored to purge our very cluttered basement. And I began by hauling off various old cans of paint, an old weight bench set, another metal to be scrapped, and other materials to be disposed of properly elsewhere. And I left it to my wife and my kids to do most of the grunt work of sifting through broken old toys and stuffed animals and just lots of things that were cluttering our basement. And uh, when it was all said and done, we had bagged about 15 tall kitchen bags of trash and, uh, and certainly got our money's worth from uh, the trash disposable service that week. My wife and I like order, uh, which only proves that God has a sense of humor since he has granted us seven children in our household. And whether we are entering into the chaos of a cluttered home, the cluttered lives of other people, even seeing the clutter in our own hearts, we must allow God to guide us, to bring order and peace in order we may sift through that which should be kept and that which should be tossed aside. Paul, in our text, text enters into the chaotic worship life of the believers in Corinth to bring order and to bring peace to a very gifted and eager body of believers who needed help learning how to respect one another, how to honor God, how to preserve a positive witness to the surrounding pagan and Jewish communities around them. And it is true that God requires order in public worship. But this text does not end with only concern for public worship. It ends, it spreads further into our own personal lives. God is in the business of bringing order to broken lives, to heal fractured relationships, to apply the gospel of God's grace, to unclutter our sinful hearts, to set in us order with new desires. And we'll be gladly and willing to submit to God's holy and perfect will for us. You see, order does not exist for order's sake. Order has a purpose. And I believe our text points us to how God uses order to edify the saints, to help us to honor the authority that God has established, and also to exercise and enjoy the gifts that God has given us for our enjoyment and benefit. So in the opening verse, Paul paints this picture of the Corinthian believers who were very eager as they gathered for corporate worship to bring a hymn, a song, a a teaching, this is a revelation, all these many gifts to share with the body. They're like hyper-kindergartners during show-and-tell the week after Christmas, all too eager to show and even boast of the wonderful gifts that they have received. And Paul reminds these believers that they must do all things for building up. Well, this word for building or structure is used uh, uh, to allegorically to, to uh, describe the, the way that we strengthen and build up other believers in Christ. You see, the gifts we receive from God are not just for our own benefit, but to be used to bless and build up others. Each one of us has a role to build up one another to serve as a faithful witness and testimony as lights for Jesus Christ. 
you know, Paul begins to talk about some challenging things here. He talks about speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues and the gift of prophecy. What do all these things mean? Well, we can lean on Dr. Light, who in a very sound message last week helped us help us to recognize that these gifts, what we might call the supernatural gifts, would be those particular and peculiar gifts that were unique to the gospel age as a witness to Christ and during the, the uh, era of redemption when God was establishing his early church that we believe have, been, have ceased with the closing of the scriptural canon. Uh, that God did bless his people with these supernatural gifts of tongues, which were primarily uplift and praising uh, towards God that oftentimes required interpretation from others. They could also serve as a sign, a sign of warning and judgment to unbelievers, especially to Jews who were obstinate to the gospel message. And Paul speaks of prophecy, uh, the gift of instruction, uh, of edifying the believers who were hearing the Word of God, a fresh revelation as it was being captured and recorded uh, for the, the edification of God's people. So Paul here gets real practical. He wants to give the church this sound advice uh, to limit the number of speakers, those who are participating in worship, trying to bring some discipline and order uh, to the weekly gathering of God's people where they build up one another through tongues and prophecy and so forth. And just recognizing that chaos in the worship service does not edify anybody. But notice in verse 29 where Paul, he gives particular weight, uh, emphasis to a kind of review and control over what is communicated. He says in verse 29 that after the prophets have spoken, that others must weigh what has been said. Well, the word weigh means to differentiate to distinguish between what is true, that is, what's consistent with the apostolic gospel, with what is contrary, with what is false, with what is not consistent to the witness that the apostles had of the words of Christ and the true teaching of the gospel. So, there needs to be those in authority who are skilled and gifted to determine what to keep and what to toss. Well, who is responsible for that task? Well, let's put it this way. Think about the, the task of a, a, a director of a school play. So you've got the director of a school play who has to determine all of the leading roles of the students and recognizing that not every girl can play Cinderella or Dorothy or Fraulein Maria. Not every boy can play the prince or be the role of the Scarecrow or Captain Von Trapp. But no, the students have to try out. They have to make their case. They might enlist their parents and their teachers. He might have influence over the director and his final decisions. And so what is the director to do? Well, the director wants a good production. He wants to make everybody reasonably happy. He wants to be equitable. He wants to give opportunity to, the, uh, to those who have great potential for shining on the stage. He has to weigh the talent the personalities, the, the perceived chemistry between parts played, and all this while dealing with the peer pressure of those who are eager for the star roles. Well, I think, I think that my hypothetical situation of the school play director is not all that far off. 
as he considered this Corinthian church had many gifted people vying to use their talents in the gathering of worship. So the question is, who's in charge in determining the proper roles? Uh, Not only the roles of, of serving, but also determining what is the acceptable biblical teaching for the people's instruction. Well, keep in mind that this is one of Paul's earliest letters. It was written perhaps just two decades or so after uh, the death and resurrection of Christ. And at this time, the New Testament churches did not have a clear structure that continues to be spelled out and clarified through the um, revelation of the New Testament. You know, you and I, we, we enjoy 2,000 years of church history of councils and creeds, of, you know, we have a denomination that has a book of church order that's hundreds of pages long. Our, our church even has a policy book that, that, that dates back 40-plus years and is uh, some 200 pages long. Here's a small, young church that has elders, who has elders who are called upon, who are challenged by Paul to exercise order, to have discipline, to do review and control over what is said and what is taught, to guide the tongue speakers, the prophets, and the teachers for the purposes of edifying the body and pleasing the Lord. So what does this have to do with us? This has to do with tongues and prophecies and all these things that are no longer part of our regular expression of worship, although we have preaching and teaching and discipline today. Well, I think the clear application here for us is that we must appoint godly, men to serve as pastors and elders. It becomes more clear in Paul's later, later letters that the, the, the ruling office was divided between teaching elders and ruling elders, and we have uh, pastors who are ordained to preach and to teach and serve the sacraments, and elders who serve, serve in ruling roles to help govern the church. And so we need men of integrity who know the Word of God, who are skilled to weigh out sound biblical teaching, who must be able to differentiate between what is true and what is false. And, you know, we we all think we know the gospel, just like we think we can recognize a legitimate $100 bill, but counterfeits are plentiful. We need men who know the Word who understand the gospel, who can apply it. We also need members, a body of membership who are wise and mature, who exercise their gifts, and recognizing that not everybody can be Cinderella or Captain Von Trapp, but we need munchkins. We need people who can serve and fulfill their duties and their calling to serve the church and the body in many ways for the, for the edification of the people and the glory of God. You know, I think that our church in many ways does not need a lot of instruction on order. We are a fairly orderly bunch. In fact, I think sometimes we may be a bit too orderly. Sometimes we may be too fixated on our policies and our structures and our orders and our traditions uh, that can stifle people. Let me put it this way. Uh, My wife and I like order. We like structure. But I recognize that If I am too uptight and all fixated on order in my house, I can stifle my children's play. I can discourage them if I'm constantly barking orders about 
the various messes in the house, not that I ever do such a thing. I can become so overly preoccupied with order and control, my wife and I may have great reservations about our 18-month-old twin nephews coming over, who I nicknamed Thing 1 and Thing 2, who run rampage all through our house. Yes, there's a time to clean up. Yes, there's a time to bring order to the mess and the chaos. There's also a time to let children be children. You know, I think uh, just as my wife and I need to relax a bit to allow children to grow, mature, and enjoy play, I think also there's a time and place for the church to be relaxed, to be accepting of all kinds of people, to not let policies and structures and boundaries, all good things and necessary things, to become stifling and hinder people from becoming part of the body, to use their gifts to edify one another and to glorify the Lord. Well, verse 33 wraps up this section, reminding us that God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And this peace that Paul speaks of is the reconciliation that lost sinners enjoy when they are reunited with their God and Maker through the blood of Jesus Christ, who died to make peace with the rebellious and hostile people reconciling us to a holy God. Well, there's certainly God who is not a God of confusion. We certainly live in a world of confusion. There's been a lot of confusion about the following verses. In verses 33, 34, and 35, Paul says in verse 34 that women should keep silent in the churches. They're not permitted to speak but be in submission. So the question is, were we in sin? Were the pastors and elders in sin this morning when we had a woman speak from this pulpit to give a mission highlight? Well, obviously, we don't think that's the case. So how do we reconcile that with the teachings of this passage? Well, uh, it would be hard to take a very wooden um, interpretation of these verses and make it a, somehow a universal uh, application of forbid women's participation in corporate worship, because that would contradict what Paul already says in this very letter. Go back to chapter 11, verse 5. It's very evident that women prayed and even had gifts of prophecy. They uh, expressed and experienced uh, in the, the public gathering of God's people in worship. So there are some, there are some scholars that think that Paul is actually quoting a certain camp in the church who were trying to get women out of corporate worship to be male-only uh, speakers and participants. Uh, but I believe that if you look at the context, the context of this verse within the surrounding verses, if we consider that, that Paul was addressing the part of the worship service when it was time for interpretation, when it was time for the elders to weigh in and weigh what has been taught uh, to provide authoritative interpretation for the people, I believe we understand his meaning, that he is upholding the gender roles that God has established for male headship, for male leadership, to provide the authoritative interpretation of what is being said. And he's urging, exhorting the women to be silent, uh, to wait until they go home to uh, discuss these things further with their husbands, the, the leaders and elders of the church. 
And so I think that this is the best satisfying explanation for this difficult text because women are clearly permitted uh, to participate in worship and praising and prayers and even the gift of prophecy of that time. But now we're being urged to be silent as the leading men help the congregation to understand and interpret the things that have been taught. And yes, male-only eldership and male headship in the home are consistent with Paul's teaching, not only in this letter, but in the other letters of the New Testament. Back in October, I preached on chapter 11 and contended that Paul's main concern in that chapter is not hair and not even head coverings themselves, but a preservation of gender roles and gender distinctions that are rooted in creation, rooted in God's purposes for male and female, and that uh, we, we have specific roles defined for the church and in the home. And though the gospel age brings freedom where there's no more male nor female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus, as Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians, yet gender roles and distinctions have not been abolished in this age. There's still a need to preserve the order of creation that God has established. And let me remind you that, historically speaking, Christianity is the liberator of women. That it was the the early Christian church that elevated women above second-class citizen status that was common among pagans and among the Gentiles and the Jews, and that women did exercise their gifts in corporate worship. They served alongside men in evangelism, discipleship, and worship, yet under the authority of the ordained male leadership. And yes, there was the preservation of men only serving in authoritative preaching and ruling offices. And so, other scholars believe that Paul wants to be concerned not to allow the early church to be confused with pagan practices, and there were emerging cults uh, that did cater to women, who enjoyed prominent roles in them, and Paul did not want the church to be confused with those, certainly by the Jews or by other Greco-Roman pagans who needed to see uh, the preservation of gender roles and male authority in this new thing called the Christian church. Even as Paul says in, in verse 35, women, or even, even wives, are urged to ask or actually interrogate uh, their husbands at home to learn further regarding the interpretation of that which was prophesied. And so Paul wants to guard the church from shameful acts of, of, of communicating disrespect by allowing the men uh, to weigh and differentiate between the true and the false teachings uh, for the honor of God and to serve as a public witness uh, to both pagan Gentile and Jew. You know, gender roles are controversial. They're controversial in a society that's very egalitarian, uh, that's anti-authoritarian. Our church recently voted uh, to allow women to be ushers, and thankfully that has not stirred up much controversy, and uh, shouldn't be controversial as there's nothing in Scripture that would forbid uh, women serving in this way in our worship services. And yes, there's been some concerns over tradition and over preserving roles. Uh, We have concluded as a a leadership body of pastors and elders that we should not be any more strict than Scripture is regarding uh, limiting women's participation in worship. And it's our full intent to preserve male-only 
uh, pastors and elders for the preaching and teaching of God's Word and exercising uh, the ruling offices. You know, our culture needs a church. Needs a church that is bold to preserve the gender distinctions that God's established in creation, uh, to be very clear with male leadership in the church and headship in the home. These are rooted in God's created order, designed for His glory, and men must lead. Because when men abdicate and when women usurp those roles, the result is chaos in rebellion against God's good order. But there's other ways that we can damage God's good order through male oppression, through a heavy-handedness, through churches that are heavy-handed with an oppressive or even chauvinistic attitude towards women. I'm thinking of a particular church right now that is hemorrhaging, uh, not in our denomination, but a church that is uh, actually in a public scandal right now uh, because of it, the leadership's tendency to overlook abusive husbands, to overlook their behaviors, to continue to insist wives to submit to very emotionally abusive men rather than protecting them. And uh, we're reminded from Scripture that male leaders, both in the church and the home, must be gentle-handed, not heavy-handed. Jesus said to his disciples in Mark chapter 10, not to lord it over their subjects like the Gentiles do, but one who wants to be great among you must be your servant. He would be first, must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, in the final section, verses 36 to 40, Paul opens with a rhetorical question and offers a kind of gentle rebuke to remind the Corinthians that they are servants of the cross and to warn them against presumption. And I would summarize these last five verses as everyone is accountable. Paul here calling everyone to account. We could answer this rhetorical question in verse 36 to say, yes, the, the word comes from God, not from man. It was intended to be preached to every human being across the earth. The word is to be shared, not hoarded. And so in verse 37, for those who are presumed to be prophets or to be spiritually minded, Paul has to remind them that he is an apostle, that he comes with the sanctioned authority of the Lord. See, Paul was dealing with people who wanted to question his authority, who did not want to submit to the Lord. And so uh, Paul, uh, for those who would simply dismiss him, Paul challenges the church to disregard those uh, those who disregard him or disregarding God's word. And we don't have apostles today, uh, but we have the word of God. And we are all accountable to God's Word. And this does not mean that, we're, that we just follow our own interpretation, our own wiles and, and ideas. We do need submission and respect for those who have been called, who have been set apart by proper authorities in the church, in our denomination, uh, to provide uh, a kind of authoritative interpretation. And we have our creeds uh, that help us and guide us to be more faithful to Scripture than we would be just on by our own wisdom. And so this reminds us that we are to be accountable. Accountable to those who have been recognized for having spiritual maturity and integrity to both lead 
and provide proper teaching from God's Word. You know, and that, that again, is hard for our culture. Uh, there's a lot of people who don't like accountability, uh, who don't want to be accountable, who there's many people who think they're above the rules or the rules don't apply to them. The rules are for other people, and this applies to the roadways and to policies and uh, trespassing and so forth. Um, and, uh, but, you know, for anybody who is going to be above the rules, there will be consequences. Paul says in verse 38, dismiss such a person. Anybody who has had a child who had played on a sport with a very stern, strict coach, you cross that coach, you're dismissed, you're off the team. Well, Paul is similarly strict with those who won't abide by uh, the authority in the church. You know, Paul's point here is instructing the church not to permit anyone to teach, lead, or serve who is not accountable, uh, who, does not, who does not receive direction and guidance for their role. We all need accountability. Pastors, teachers, parents, and other authority figures still need accountability. Healthy organizations need accountability. Uh, a home does not work without submission, without accountability and order. Businesses and churches don't work without it. Even your own spiritual life does not work if you are not submissive, if you're not accountable, if you do not allow order. So my question for you as we try to unpack this and apply it to ourselves is, who are you accountable to? Who are you vulnerable with? As a, as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are called to allow other brothers and sisters to walk alongside of you who have the freedom to call you out, to challenge you, and to encourage you to walk in the ways of the Lord. We all need accountability. Years ago, I was in relationship with a man who was a minister and a man who I did respect at the time, uh, who asked me whether I wanted fellowship or accountability. And I could tell he wanted me to say fellowship, so we, we, we began to talk about fellowship and how the, the joy of fellowship. But it was years later that I learned that this man had done many dishonorable things, uh, was very abusive, manipulative, and who really did not have any accountability and he lost my respect. Yes, I want fellowship, but I need accountability. You know, the leadership at the church I mentioned earlier was abusive and not accountable. Well, now they are suffering the consequences and are being called to account in the public sphere through this scandal. This abusive minister, this manipulator, is now suffering the consequences of his unaccountable ways as people withdraw from him and isolate him. You see, no one is above abusing gifts or abusing authority or preserving privileges for themselves. All of us need accountability. We live in a messy world with messy lives, with messy hearts. And we need order. We need accountability. Some of us have marital problems. Others of us have chaos and disorder with our physical and emotional health. Some of us experience relational strife. There are those of us who need our financial house to be put in order. 
So when life is chaos, remember the God of peace who enters into the chaos, who spoke into the chaos at creation to bring order, who sent his son into a chaotic world to bring order and reconciliation by his life, death, and resurrection. Yes, it was God's son who came to restore law and order, who came to fix what was broken that we could not fix ourselves. When you and I had made a mess of creation, when we had tainted our own souls, he came to clean us up. It's Jesus that brings healing to our heart's sickness, peace to a people in warfare with their God to fix our brokenness, to provide the obedience that we could not provide in our disobedience. The one who paid our infinite debt to restore capital to our spiritual bankruptcy. Gordon MacDonald years ago wrote a helpful book called Ordering Your Private World. It's helpful because it critiques our culture and the crazy busyness of our lives with our packed calendars, our obsession with productivity. Many of us who live stressful lives striving for greater accomplishment, and many are guilty of of leaving little left for their spiritual focus and relational priorities. There are many people in our society and many people in our churches who are successful publicly, successful professionally, but whose personal lives are an absolute mess. Our outer worlds can be orderly, and yet our inner worlds be utter chaos. We can make orderly worship services. We can make our ministry programs run smoothly and yet still neglect spiritual order in our private worlds. Friend, let me encourage you tonight to let God reign over your private world. To let Christ bring peace and order to the chaos in your own mind and heart, to let him enter into the chaos of inner pain, unresolved loss, terrible regret, bitter resentment, to allow him to reign and rule, to topple the idols that you make of stuff, that you make of people, that you make of seeking approval, as Pastor Rogers mentioned this morning striving after accomplishment. You know, the truth is, if we take care of our inner person, the outer part of our lives all fall into place as we submit to the Lord and His will for us. You know, no person can be greater publicly than he or she is privately with the Lord. We all need accountability to embrace the order and the peace that God provides for us through Jesus Christ, who grants us a right relationship with our God and our Maker. So let us continue in decency and in order to worship the Lord in an honorable, respectful way, to run ministries that edify the body, that build one another up, that, that preserve as a witness for the surrounding community. And may the God of peace 
who brings order to our chaos, who allows us to minister His grace to others, to allow us to show His peace, that we can enter into the chaos of other people's messy lives and be used by the Spirit to bring order, peace, health, wholeness, and the joy of the Lord for the glory and the honor of Christ. Let us pray. We thank you, God and Father, for being a God of peace, a God of order who enters into the chaos to bring restoration, to bring sanity, to bring wholeness and healing. And I pray that that will be true of every person here. Help us in our worship, both public and private, as we enter into a world of work and service this week, that we would be your messengers, your light, agents of your peace, of the order that you are bringing in, ushering in through the redemption of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.